America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. We're reclaiming my time, and, and I appreciate the, the gentleman getting that ruling from the Republican-controlled Rules Committee. But, and, frankly, and frankly, it's completely, it's completely appropriate for you to have that statement. The point now on the, on the floor is whether or not all members have a right to, to, to their question about clear interpretation of the clear letter of the law. And what we're having now is the chairman is now saying, you know what, no, we've heard enough. And I think it's fair that on something as important and this, members have a right to be heard. Furthermore, continuing to reserve, Mr. Chairman, furthermore, we had a, something on the table that was in order. The gentleman from New Jersey made a, a legitimate unanimous consent request under proper recognition. There was a, a, a reservation of a right to object by the gentlewoman from Illinois, properly recognized to do so. She now has an opportunity to speak to that reservation. So we can't keep trampling on trampling on trampling on people's rights to speak here, Mr. M M Mr. Chairman. I just don't think it's an appropriate way to begin. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 12 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have ourselves a new Speaker of the House of Representatives. Yes, the third in line. People, That's a semantic difference. I call it the third in line after the Vice President, who's second in line. And since we were able to swear in the 118th Congress and all its new and returning members, we finally have a House of Representatives after a few days without. But before you do anything else, you must decide on the rules of the House, the rules of the House of Representatives. And usually nobody but the deepest and nerdiest of the political nerd community cares all that much about what's in the rules. Every two years, the rules from everything from how the proceedings on the floor shall be conducted, to the number of members of each committee, to whether or not you can bring popcorn on the floor of Congress. Every two years, those rules have to be passed. And it's not like just one year gets handed off to another. Although, 99% or so of the rules from the previous Congress and the precedents that they were built on does get adopted by the following year. But sometimes... Although they rarely change very much, sometimes they do need to be. For example, it used to say that neckties had to be worn by people and then someone had a neck injury and someone else wanted to wear a bolo tie, so they changed the rules. Sometimes they add new technology like voting by electronic device, something they've had for quite some time. That had to be added to the rules, including the timers that go with it and everything else. So why this year is everyone in all a tizzy about the rules of the House? Well, primarily because a bunch of Republicans had two overarching desires last week. One was to completely humiliate Kevin McCarthy. And two was to get their names in the papers and their faces on TV. And although it seems like a historic thing... Actually, leaders frequently get challenged for the top job. Let's remember something. Nancy Pelosi had the exact same margin that Kevin McCarthy had this year. When she left, I think it was 222 to 213. I think he had 222 to 212 because there was one vacancy. 
she has been challenged for leadership a bunch of times. She was challenged by Harold Ford, I remember, by Tim Ryan of Ohio, by Rice on Long Island. These challenges happen all the time. And frankly, members have wanted changes of the rules all kinds of times. Every two years, members come up with different changes of the rules that they want. So nothing is particularly notable about those two things, either that McCarthy was challenged for speaker or that people want to have rules changes. But here's how it works. And I don't mean it works this way most of the time. It has worked this way every time since about the time of the Revolutionary War. Both sides meet among themselves. The Democrats go meet with their fellow Democrats. Republicans meet with their fellow Republicans. And they hear from the candidates who want to be speaker. They hear from Kevin McCarthy and whoever else was running against him, etc. Then they have a vote in their caucus. They get a winner and they go to the floor representing their sides. They basically pick their champion, then go have the vote. And the vote is fairly pro forma. Not fairly pro forma. It is pro forma. And if you want rule changes, the process is basically the same. For every Congress since around the Civil War, none of this has been all that dramatic. Remember, elections take place the first Tuesday following the first Monday in November. Swearing in doesn't happen until January 3rd. There's plenty of time for these types of internal conversations, discussions, even battles to go on. But a bunch in the majority party this year really wanted to make their new speaker suffer, so they kept saying no. You know that part. That's the part we watched on TV. But there were some of them who needed a reason that was less personal to justify all this. So they say, well, we want rule changes. Now, I just want to reiterate that they could have asked for those rule changes behind closed doors within the two months, had votes on it in their caucus, and gotten them that way. But because these rule changes were tossed into the hopper for this reason, let's call it as a fig leaf for the anti-McCarthy animus, and combine that with the thirst for TV coverage, many more Americans than usual have been hearing about these rules, and many, even many Democrats, have found them to be actually pretty good sounding, you know, some of the amendments that folks wanted to the rules. But now people are all about having conversation about the House rules. Now, I love discussions of the House rules. I was a bit of a rules geek when I worked on Capitol Hill and was part of a special group of Democrats who were in the minority. We used our knowledge of the rules to make trouble for the GOP when they were in the majority. That cold open that you heard at the top was just a little of my gibberish handiwork of making trouble by just knowing the rules a lot better than most of the members there. So I love, I'm here to tell you that these new rules are both not that new and could make things worse and not better. But I do want to take a look at them since so many people are interested in them, and particularly since so many people have said, oh, that sounds perfectly fine and innocuous. The rule change that perhaps has gotten the most attention is the idea that we should have rules that prevent the type of budgeting and appropriating that we've been doing for the past couple of decades. This idea of passing one big monster bill at the last minute that crams everything in and passing it without much debate all on one vote. We just passed a 4,000-plus page bill that funds every part of the government for the whole year. And I mean everything, every agency for the entire year, all in one bill. You know, it wasn't always this way. The system was kind of is very smart on paper. They divide up the entire Congress into 12 separate appropriation bills. Those appropriation bills have their own subcommittee 
that has its own members who are expert in those subjects, its own staff who know those agencies backwards and forwards. They do oversight. They go over the line, the budget line by line. The chairman of those committees are so powerful or were so powerful, they call them the College of Cardinals, the, the chairman of those appropriation committees. But so why is it that in this past Congress, only five of those 12 billions even reached the House floor in the last Congress? And why were there zero of them to reach the floor of the United States Senate? Well, it comes down to a couple of things that have changed dramatically since my time being a staffer on Capitol Hill in the 1980s and 90s and being a member of the United States Congress from 1999 to 2011. One thing that's different is that these bills have frequently seen death by filibuster. Now, we know that everything needs 60 votes in the Senate. And with the Senate being so closely divided, 51-50, that explains why there haven't been bills coming out in the Senate. But in a way, in the House of Representatives, there's another version of death by filibuster. And that is, if 435 members all want to weigh in with an amendment or all want to speak for 10 minutes on each amendment, and every time you have to call for a recorded vote that takes 25 or 30 minutes, you basically, you have people standing up and for various reasons wanting to stop the bill by saying, I want more for such a, for one thing, or I think there's too much in it for that one thing. So the effect is that members can basically use amendments, use amendments, use amendments to keep not only slowing things up, but also constantly trying to make the other side take difficult votes. And that's where the notion that there's more partisanship, which is the reason number two comes into this. If the purpose that you're pursuing legislation is only to embarrass the other guy, to offer amendments to make some political point about what's going on in either the country or that agency— If there's so much partisanship that every vote is like that, there's always going to be an ability to craft an amendment that winds up making the whole bill unworkable. And the final thing is one you might not have considered before, and that is the end of pork spending, the end of individual members being able to insert spending into the bills, has actually made it much more difficult to get them passed. And hear me out on this. I know we all have this thing, you know— I don't like these individual pork spending, you know, the Pickle Museum and the Michelle Obama path and these different things. But those provisions where individual members advocate for things in their own district make it much less likely they're going to vote against those things. And I know people say, well, that's a vice. It adds to a lot of spending. It's a tiny amount of spending. It basically says the legislature is deciding what spending is going to be, not the executive branch. But ultimately, it was the grease of bill making. So... When you have amendments that say we're going to return to single-item bills, that we're going to allow people to offer amendments, I just want to caution you that is a rule that may sound perfectly fine, but in practice it is going to be abandoned very quickly when they realize the same things that every other recent Congress has found out, that it just doesn't work out that way. And there are some other rules that have – there has been a lot made of them in the media. One is something called the Holman Rule which is allows individual members to stand up and try to defund a single line item or even a single person's budget. If they find out that there is a staffer working at the Department of Homeland Security that is pursuing immigration policy that they don't like, the Holman Rule allows them to offer an amendment to strike that person. Now, the problem is it's probably not constitutional because of the separation of powers. The executive branch you know, gets to decide who works for them, not the legislative branch. But returning that rule, a lot has been made of it. Let's see if it gets actually used. There is rules to eliminate voting by proxy, something that I believe is a great idea. And I, I never served in Congress when there was a proxy. But remember something now. With the margins as close as they are, 
Republicans only controlling the House by four votes, or maybe even less, five or six votes. Five or six votes or maybe as few as four votes. If you don't allow proxy voting, you better be really good at counting heads and making sure that every single one of your votes are there and are able to get there and have not been impacted by being out sick or haven't been impacted by travel problems or things like that. But voting by proxy, again, it's another great idea. Eliminating that is a perfectly reasonable idea. There are some purely political things in there, like this committee on weaponizing of the federal government. Hey, more power to you. You've heard on this podcast before. I think that the more the Republicans are backward looking and looking at investigations of Hunter Biden, Ghazi, and immigration, Ghazi, and trying to find scandals everywhere, the less that they're going to focus on the issues that the American people care about. But the creation of that committee is also in the rules. Again, a lot has been made of it. I think at the end of the day, it probably doesn't matter. They could have done a lot of those hearings within the existing committees. The one big thing that you have heard about, and I think it is as big as it is described, is the idea of changing the rules so any individual member can go to the floor and make a privileged motion to vacate the speaker, meaning to throw out the speaker and demand account, basically the process we saw last week all over again. Now, a lot of people have pointed out, oh, any one of this Freedom Caucus can come back and do it again. No, no, it's any one member. It can be any Democrat. You can do it to a single Democrat. The way that Nancy Pelosi structured the rule during the last two years was it had to be only a member of the leadership of the two parties can stand up and do it. So here's what you're going to see happen. You're going to see members of the minority party, the Democrats, and this is what I would be doing, watching very carefully the newspapers of any member of the House majority that expressed any dissatisfaction at all with Kevin McCarthy. For example, someone goes to their hometown newspaper and said, I'm very upset that Kevin McCarthy did A, B, or C. And as soon as they see that there's any fissure at all on the Republican side, there's nothing stopping a Democrat from standing up and saying, let's vacate the chair and see if we can peel off a couple of these guys or embarrass the Republicans. It could happen. So I think that that is problematic, and I think ultimately there was a reason why Kevin McCarthy fought so hard against it. We're going to go to a break, and in listener mail, I have a listener who asked about a particularly popular-sounding amendment that is going to be in the rules, and she wonders why Democrats don't support it, and believe it or not, I have some real-life experience with it when we come back. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So welcome back to The Middle Unplugged. We're talking about the sudden interest in rule changes in the House of Representatives and what it means to regular Americans. And each episode, we like to take something from the listener mailbag, something that perhaps was posted at at Rep Wiener on Twitter or wienerwabc at gmail.com or maybe something from the Facebook page. And this time, a regular listener of ours who always writes interesting things, Wendy B. writes in, they were fighting for better rules, like minimum 72 hours to read bills before they go to the floor. And then she writes parenthetically, I personally don't think 72 hours is long enough. How can representatives vote on something they haven't even had a chance to read? That's psycho. 
So while I may not agree with all their beliefs, I do agree with some of their rule changes, and I always appreciate a rebel spirit, people fighting for what they believe in. Wasn't that you at one point? Question mark. So Wendy asks a question about one of the rules, which is you get 72 hours in advance so everyone can read a bill. It makes perfect sense. It's a great idea. But what if you're in a hurry? Or what if Congress has to fix a mistake they made ASAP? Of course we want to get bills three days in advance, but having a rule doesn't necessarily make it happen. And this I happen to know from experience. And as I mentioned earlier in the program, this used to be part of my role as a member of Congress since I was expert in the rules. I was frequently someone who was around the floor to take advantage of when the majority party, we were in the minority at the time, slipped up in some way, and you had to know the rules very well to be able to hold them into account. So here's the funny thing that happened. It was January 3rd. It was 2011, and we had elected a new speaker. It was—who was the speaker then? I guess it was It was Dennis Hastert. Oh, it might have been—no, it was Boehner at the time. It was John Boehner at the time. And, well, two members missed it. There were some photographers or a television crew— that caught two members of Congress, Pete Sessions of Texas and Fitzpatrick, I think his name was, from Pennsylvania, who were photographed taking the oath of office in front of a television set where the proceedings were going on at the time. So that turned out to be a problem because it wasn't discovered until a few days later that this has happened, that these two members had not been duly sworn in. You can't swear in someone standing in a room somewhere. There's a constitutional provision that says you've got to be there to be sworn in. And one of these guys happened to be the chairman of the Rules Committee, believe it or not, and proceeded to go on past the rules. And so a few days later, I think it's the 7th now, the House had to take up a bill to make sure that these guys were sworn in somehow very fast. And so this is how it went down. I'm going to play you some tape now. But the thing I want you to listen for is the very last thing that the acting speaker who's in the chair, the very last thing she says or Representative-elect Fitzpatrick and proceedings on the floor be ratified. Gentleman from New York is recognized. I rise for a point of order. Uh, Gentleman will state his point of order. Madam Speaker, I, I make a point. The House is not in order. The House will be in order. Madam Speaker, I make a point of order that the consideration of this resolution is in violation of the House rules that we just passed, in which a new section was created to Rule 21 that required at least three days' notice to consider legislation, that it be posted on the Internet and we have a chance to review it. It is particularly important in this case, since we're dealing with a constitutional issue, one that is without precedent, and I insist on the point of order. The chair, the chair must observe that the rule cited applies to bills and joint resolutions. Point of parliamentary inquiry. And pursuant to the rule, all points of order are waived. Point of parliamentary inquiry. So it was that last thing that she said, and by the way, <laughs> that sounds kind of dry and you're not into that kind of stuff, I get it. But the last thing she said, and that pursuant to the rule, all points of order are waived. So essentially what had happened is they basically said, you know that 72-hour rule? Well, we have another rule that we just brought to the floor that waives that point of order. That says to someone like me at the moment, all points of order are waived against this provision. In other words, 
Sure, we have a 72-hour rule, but we are going to waive it because, just because. And in this case, the just because was they were in a hurry to fix this mess that they had made, although it's a, I mean, to call it a mess is probably overstating it. It was an infirmity. So, you know, I guess the point that I'm making here is that, yeah, there are rules, but waves, that rules can be waived, which brings me to what might be the most consequential of all the deals that McCarthy had to make. And it was this big one that the Freedom Caucus gets seats on the Rules Committee. And so what's the Rules Committee is the gatekeeper to the floor. Before there is, if a bill comes out of a committee and it's ready to go to the floor, the first thing that has to happen before that happens is someone has to make a decision, well, how many amendments are we going to permit? How much debate time is there going to be? How will the debate time be divided up if there's more than one committee involved? What other changes are we going to allow? What things are automatic? Like, what's the order of amendments going to be? What if one amendment passes and it's obviated by another? All this kind of technical details. And the reason you need it is, unlike in the Senate, where there's only 100 members, we have 435 members who all want to have a piece of the action. So the Rules Committee is arguably the most important and powerful committee in all in Capitol Hill. And the Rules Committee is always, always stacked with complete loyalists to the Speaker and the Minority Leader. Because when the speaker, in order to be a good speaker, has to be able to control the floor, what goes on on the floor, has to be able to rule and make decisions. Well, as part of the unwritten part of the rule, the agreement that Kevin McCarthy made when he weakened himself and made himself a speaker in name only, he said, I'm going to give up a substantial portion of the seats on the rules committee to these Freedom Caucus guys. And as I played that tape, this is all points of order are waived against it. So the 72-hour rule was waived in that case. It could very well be that these Freedom Caucus members join with Democrats to stop Kevin McCarthy from doing even the basic things that he wants to do. So that's not actually written down, this deal that he made. That's not written down anywhere. That's something that's been reported, and we don't know it for sure. We'll find out soon. But that could be the part of the rules changes that is the most consequential. But if you take a big step back from this entire conversation, I would argue that it is focusing on the trees and not the forest. The forest is that, fundamentally speaking, a large part of the Republican constituency, both in the public and in Congress, don't come to Washington because of things they want to do. They come to Washington because they have a whole long list of things they want to stop, including the, the functioning of government at the most basic level. And if that's the case, it becomes very difficult to negotiate with those people because negotiations are giving people what they want, exchanging things that people want. And so when it comes to this rules conversation, it almost doesn't matter what the letter of the rules are. If you have a spirit of nihilism about your pursuit of legislation or you have no legislation at all that you want to get passed so you don't care if nothing happens, then that becomes the really dangerous part of what we saw in the last couple of weeks. So there you go. If you'd like to send me an email, like I said, it's wienerwabc at gmail.com, at Rep Wiener. You can always find it. We have a Facebook page, Anthony D. Wiener. You can also tune in and listen to my program at 2 o'clock on Saturdays, The Middle. That also comes out in the form of a podcast. And uh, we will be back next Wednesday with another podcast, and we'll have an opportunity perhaps to see how these new rules work out and how speaker in name only 
Kevin McCarthy is getting along and whether he outlives Santos, representative in name only, as he seems to be a dead man walking as well. But I don't want to get into another subject. Let me just say thank you so much for joining us. And this is the end of The Middle Unplugged.